if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to two places. The title of my message this morning is A Worthy Manner. I'm going to ask you if you would first turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and just put your finger in there and mark that. And if you found Ephesians chapter 4 and you've marked it, just kind of look up at me so I know we can keep going on. If you have your Bible here today, great. If you don't have your Bible, man, you want to bring your Bible. You get a whole lot more out of the messages if you bring your Bible with you and you look along with me. As I've said so many times, I appreciate you guys trusting me that I'm, that I'm preaching and I'm teaching the Word of God, but I agree, agree with the philosophy uh, by that President Ronald Reagan years ago during the Cold War. Trust but verify. Trust what I say, but verify it for yourself. If you found Ephesians chapter 4, I'd ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to share verses 26 through 29 out of verse, out of Corinthians 11. Then I'm going to go to Ephesians. And uh, out of reverence to God's Word, if you're physically able this morning, if you'd stand as I read. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 26 through 29, read this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Then if you flip over to Ephesians chapter 4, we read this. This is Paul who wrote both letters and he says in Ephesians 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. May God bless us by the hearing, by the reading, but most especially the doing of His Word. You may be seated. There's five words in this passage that, that, that the Apostle Paul uses to describe somebody who's walking in a worthy Christ-like manner. Um, and I'm going to be talking about those, but, but before I do that, I want to, I want to take a look at uh, what do the words walk and what do the words worthy mean? He starts out by saying that you walk worthy of the calling in which you were called. Well, what do those two words mean? First of all, the walk speaks of our daily conduct. Walk speaks of the way we live our, out our lives when the rubber hits the road, Monday morning through, I guess I would say, Sunday morning before we walk into the doors of this church. It's what we do on a regular, consistent basis. In other words, it's the rule and not the exception. Paul tells us that we're to walk. But what does that word worthy mean? Worthy comes from a Greek word, axios, which means to balance the scales. In other words, what's on one side of the scale should be balanced by the other side. It speaks of, a, of, a, of an employer paying a worker at the end of the day what corresponds to the amount of work he does. Now back, in, back in Bible times, most of the time the workers were paid at the end of each and every day. And so what this word speaks of is, is being paid based on what your, what your worth was, what your performance was during the day. A believer who walks in a manner worthy of his calling is one whose daily living matches the high position, the high royal, I might add, position he has as a child of Christ 
as a child of God and a fellow heir of Christ. His daily living matches his spiritual position. Now to give you a, a, a worldly example, you watch the news, you may realize you, you may have seen where Prince Philip of England this week uh, had some, shall we say, less than desirable pictures taken of him in Las Vegas. That, that old saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, didn't apply this time. Now here you've got a, a, a prince, somebody who is heir to a throne. He's a royal person. But he decided he was going to engage with some ladies in a, in a game or a few games of strip pool, strip billiards. And some pictures were, portrayed, were, were shown on the internet where, with he and a, and a couple of ladies stark naked. His walk at that time was not worthy of his royal position. What he was doing didn't match up with who he was. And what Paul's talking about here, for us from a spiritual standpoint, is that we're to walk a walk daily, consistently, a manner worthy of the title Christian. We're to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ, that's worthy of royalty. And we're royalty in Christ Jesus. So how do we walk? What, 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 is it, what is walking in a worthy manner look like? And uh, we've got five terms that Paul uses here that, that I want to talk about, hopefully quickly, uh, about what it looks like to walk in a worthy manner. So as we think about these things, we can be asking ourselves, am I going to be partaking of the Lord's table in a worthy manner today? What I'm doing is I'm giving all of us, including this man behind the pulpit, the opportunity where if, if I see I'm not going to be participating in a worthy manner, I've got time even sitting here right now, even preaching to you guys, teaching to you guys in my mind and heart and soul to get myself right with God so that when the elements are passed out in a few minutes, I can participate and so that you can participate in a worthy manner. But what is he, how does he start out? How are we to walk? He says, first of all, we're to walk with lowliness. In other words, Humility. We're to walk as lowly people, as humble people. You know, humility lays the groundwork for the other four terms, the other four characteristics we're going to be looking at here this morning. Things we're going to talk about. You know, humility is one of those elusive virtues because once you realize you have it, you've lost it. You know, humility is one of those things where you, you, you know, we, we want to be humble. I believe all of us want to be humble before Christ. But the minute we say, you know, I say, man, I go home one evening and say, Tammy, you know what, this humility thing, I got it down pat now. And if I were to say that, if she was thinking, she'd say, you know what, no you don't. <laughs> because the minute we recognize it in ourselves, we don't have, anybody that tells you, and they might, they might be sincere, but they're not thinking, anybody that says, well, I'm just a humble servant, I've heard preachers before say, well, I'm just a humble pastor of a little old country church. Well, you might be the pastor of a little old country church, but you're not a humble pastor because you're saying that you are. And if we say that we're humble, we've lost it. We're not. So we're called to be lowly. We're called to be humble in spirit. And when we claim humility, when we claim lowliness, we forfeited it because it turns into pride. Look at me. Look at what a humble guy I am. That's prideful. 
Folks, we need to understand this morning that God calls us to walk in, a, in an attitude of lowliness, an attitude of humility, and when we are humble, when we live a life that's humble, when we live a life of humility, God is going to bless us for it. And as I say so many times, it doesn't necessarily mean Cadillacs, cash, and condos. You know, I'm not going to say claim this verse and God's, pro you know, God's promise that He's going he's to increase your storehouse. You know, or claim this promise and send me a $25 love offering and God's going to repay you ten times. You know, I've, I've been hearing a lot of that lately on, well, you always hear it on those, some of those stations. But it gets worse and worse, it seems, as the week goes by. But folks, blessing comes from humility. Just as every sin has at its root pride, every spiritual blessing we have has humility at its root. God blesses us because He knows He can bless us. God blesses us because He knows He can bless us. God blesses us because He knows He can bless us. God says, well, you know what? I can bless Timothy because I know if I bless Timothy, he's not going to get a big head. He's not going to turn around and say, look at what I did. Look at what I accumulated. Look at what I've done. When we're humble, God blesses us because He knows that, we, that He can bless us. Because humility, loneliness, allows us to see ourselves as we are because we're able to see ourselves as God sees us. And because when we're humble, when we're lowly, we're able to see God as He truly is. He's God and I'm not. He's sinless and I'm not. He's perfect and I'm not. He's worthy and I'm not. And that everything He chooses to give me isn't because I've earned it, isn't because I've deserved it, isn't because I've put my time in, it's because God has seen something in me or seen something in you, I'm going to bless them because of their humble attitude. Yes, they might serve, yes, they might work their fingers to the bone, but they're humble as they do it. They're looking to get their rewards in heaven. And I am going to bless them in heaven, but you know what, I'm going to bless them here on earth. And we need to remember that lots of times that blessing is, is, I say nothing more, but it's awesome, is peace and contentment. Joy. Granny Clampett, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. You know? And I tell you what, I've learned over the years that having joy and peace and contentment right here is worth all the money in the world. Because you know what? I could have all the money in the world and still be miserable. And I'm going to quit there because I'm going to start chasing rabbits. I don't want to do that. Blessing comes from humility. You know, we couldn't even come to God without humility. Because if we came to God with the attitude, God, I, 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 I want to get saved and this is why. Look at what I've done. It's not going to work that way. It doesn't work that way. We can't even come to God without humility. But for some reason or other, some of us, after we come to Christ, we lose our humility. For some, it's sporadic and it happens time after. I'm sure there's times in my life where I've act, probably acted more prideful than, than what I should. Or maybe I need to, the, the, shouldn't be more prideful. I've acted prideful when I shouldn't have. All of us have probably done it. For some of us it might be sporadic, but unfortunately for others it becomes a lifestyle. 
But folks, we need to see this morning that, that, that pride, lack of humility, pride, stubbornness, bitterness, hatred, envy, gossip, carnality, living in the flesh, holding grudges, causing contention and strife with others, the my way or the highway mentality, the craving for power and control, all have its roots in pride, which is exactly the opposite of what Jesus Christ desires from us. Come to me, you who are lowly in spirit, he tells us in the Gospels. A humble person always recognizes that they're nothing and that Jesus is everything. And a person lowly in spirit will seek his will instead of their own. Excuse me. First characteristic is lowliness. What's the second one? He says, with all lowliness and gentleness. Well, what's gentleness? Gentleness means to be mild-spirited. means to be self-controlled. The, the Greek word that, 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 that translates to gentleness here, if I'm pronouncing it right, is praeotes, which is a word used in the taming of wild animals. It speaks of a horse, a spirited horse, a powerful horse, that that spirit and that power has been harnessed when the owner breaks him. You've seen all kinds of westerns where the guy tries to break the horse and the horse doesn't want to be broken and he bucks. Yeah, one of, one of my favorite, favorite westerns of all times was uh, one of his favorite westerns of all times and he can't think of the title now, Lonesome Dove. You know, and there were many, many scenes where they were trying to break the horses. What self-control, what mild-spirited means is it means it's something with power that's under the control of its master. If we're gentle in spirit, we are powerful people. We're powerful because of who lives inside of us. We're powerful because God's Holy Spirit lives in us and He's the one that does the work through us when we allow Him to. Because of that, we're powerful. But because we've got that power in us, we also should be exerting self-control. God, am I doing this because you've called me to do it or am I doing it because I want to do it? Self-control means not lashing out the minute something goes wrong. Self-control means biting our tongue when, oh man, I could get one in right now, buddy. You know, and they deserve to hear it. But we bite our tongue. Gentleness and self-control is the direct opposite of vindictiveness, of bitterness, of vengeance. Our wills are, should be under the control of the Master. They should be under the control of Christ. And my question for all of us this morning, especially me, because Miss Tanny can tell you, we, you know, I've shared with you guys before, we, we've, we've never argued over the years, but we've had what I like to call intense fellowship from time to time. And uh, Tammy can tell you that there are times when that gentleness, if you will, wasn't under control the way that it should be. And by the same token, I'm not going to get there. I'm not going to go there. It's me. <laughs> Humility always produces gentleness. And let me ask this morning, are our lives characterized by this trait? You know, you can be happy-go-lucky. You can be outgoing. You can be quite loud like I can be sometimes. But you can still have a gentle spirit. Back in high school, some of you guys know this, some of you don't. 
they had a nickname for me. They called me PA, as in PA system. Uh, when I first started playing high school football, my, my varsity football coach said, man, Hodgin, you can be at one end of the football field and be talking in a normal voice and we can hear you at the other end just like you're standing next to us. So he started calling me PA and it stuck over the years. You can have a loud, maybe not loud, you can be very, uh, you can have a, a high volume <laughs> and still have a gentle spirit. You can be outgoing, you can be funny. You know, and it's sad that after seven years you guys don't appreciate my type of humor yet. But I mean, you can be, you can be funny, but still be, you know, still be gentle. Gentleness is tenderness and soft is the gent I'm sorry, gentleness is the tenderness and the soft-heartedness that we show others. And it takes place whether somebody deserves to be treated that way or not, or whether we know that person or not. Whether they're friends of ours or not. It's most assuredly a fruit that's supposed to be displayed by be displayed to all members of God's family, but also to those outside of God's family. That old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. If we, if we reach out to a lost and dying world and we don't show gentleness, we don't show humility, they're not going to want what we've got to offer. You know, there's such a thing as saying, you're under God's judgment, you're dying and you're going to hell, you need to repent right now. And sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them in a loving way and then telling them, you know what, this is God's plan for you. But if you choose to reject God's plan, this is what's going to happen. Are there times when it needs to be in your face? I believe absolutely there's a time for everything. But I believe the church over the years has, has, has turned so many people off to Jesus Christ because the people that shared Jesus with them weren't gentle. They weren't humble about doing it. Biblical gentleness is power under God's control. A gentle person has a quiet spirit that's soothing and mild-mannered. It's a, a life characterized by gentleness is never avenging or self-assertive or vindictive. Jesus showed this gentleness in the presence of His enemies in the Garden of Gethsemane. He showed this gentleness in the presence of His enemies during His, his mock trial and His torture. He showed this gentleness as He hung on the cross where that old Gospel song tells us He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set Him free. But He died alone for you and me. He showed gentleness even on the cross. Is gentleness part of our walk with the Lord today? Loneliness or humility, gentleness, long-suffering. Long-suffering means long-tempered. It's a Greek word that tells us that it means it takes quite some time before we lose it. It takes quite some time before we get to the end of our rope, before we get so frustrated we, 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 we lose our temper. A patient person in Christ is somebody whose daily walk endures the negative circumstances and seldom gives in to them. In the book of Hebrews, we read that Moses, we read about Moses' patience. It says that he chose to endure the ill treatment with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of passing sin. Moses could have easily kept his position as Pharaoh to be, if you will, Pharaoh in training, Pharaoh in waiting. But he chose to endure the persecution, he chose to endure the suffering of 40 years in, 40 years in the backside of the desert 
of God preparing him to come back and then 40 years of leading Israel out of Egypt and wandering in the wilderness. A long-suffering Christian embraces and accepts God's plan no matter what it is. They don't look for the easy way out. They don't give in to the flesh. They don't complain. He or she doesn't grumble when things don't go their way or, or get the attention or the accolades that they think they deserve. They don't gripe when, when his or her calling seems to be something less than what he or she had hoped for or, or, or what somebody else's calling was. That's what long-suffering is all about. Are we long-suffering this morning? Loneliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. The Bible calls us as Christians to love one another. And the love spoken here is God's agape love because this is the only kind of love that's given continuously and unconditionally. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, there is nothing you can do to make God love you any more than what He already does. And maybe some of us here that are Christians this morning need to hear that too. We've already been purchased with the blood of the Lamb. God loved us so much, He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But maybe you don't realize that God cannot love you any more right now than He already does. And that God's love surpasses anything, any type of love that can be given to us on this earth. I love that my wife loves me. I love it when my kids, I know they love me, but I love it when my kids show me that they love me. But I could take both of those types of love and multiply it a billion times and it's not going to amount to the amount of love that God has got for me. And you know what? The neat thing of it is, I didn't do anything to, to deserve it. I don't have to do anything to keep it. And I can't do anything to make Him love me more. Because He loves with an infinite love. We're to love one another. Peter says that love covers or is forgiving a multitude of sins. Do we love each other like this this morning? Especially in our own church family. Do we love each other like this this morning? You know, the church is pretty, over the years has gotten pretty good at codes. We're good at using phrases that look spiritual and that look righteous, but when we get right down to it, and they may fool others, they may fool ourselves sometimes, but they don't get by God because God knows our hearts. You know, one of the big ones is, well, I love this person, but I don't like them. And where that might be true in a lot of cases, I believe there's also a lot of cases where people throw that out because it's just a cover. i got to say I love them because I'm a Christian. i got to say I love them because they're part of the church family, but if truth be told, I, I, I hate their guts. Just to be blunt, I can't stand them. But what do you think about so-and-so? Oh, well, you know what? We're having some troubles. I love them right now, but I don't, I don't like them. No, be honest enough to, to at least say, you know what? I don't like them. Please pray for me that God gives me a like, that God gives me a love for them. Because God loves them just as much as God loves me. And not only with folks in church, guys, there might be people outside that have hurt you over the years. And you say, well, I, I, yeah, I love them, but I don't like them. We need to check ourselves to make sure if we're being honest about that. 
Or are we just throwing out some kind of camouflage because we think if we say it enough, God's going to be fooled by what we're saying? Next one's kind of like it. Well, I've forgiven them, but I just can't forget. I've forgiven them, but I can't forget what they did to me. Folks, this isn't forgiveness and neither is it love. And it doesn't matter how much you pray, how much you do in the name of Jesus Christ, you cannot have, listen to this, you cannot have a right relationship with God the Father until you have fully and freely forgiven somebody that has wronged you. You can pray all you want. You can quote-unquote serve God all you want. You can memorize and quote all the Scriptures you want. But you cannot have a right relationship with God. I'm not saying you lose your salvation. But you cannot have a right relationship with God until you have fully and freely forgiven that person. Not forgiving someone, goes right back to the beginning, is not showing humility. As a matter of fact, it shows just the opposite, pride. Because in not forgiving someone, you put yourself in a position where you're not only... uh, damaging your relationship with God, but you're playing God yourself and feeling that there's somebody who doesn't deserve your forgiveness. Well, I've forgiven, but I can't forget. Folks, when we get right down to it, when somebody has, when we've forgiven somebody or somebody has done something to us, in the truest sense of the word, we don't forget. But what that means, forgive and forget, what that means is, yes, I remember what you did, but I'm going to choose, I'm going to make a decision in my life that I'm not going to hold it against you. That I'm not going to let it color my opinion of you or, or, or determine you know, how I'm going to interact with you. I'm going, I'm going to love you the way God's called me to love you. I'm going to let bygones be bygones. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And you know what? If you choose to to do something to me again, even though it might be harder, even though it might be tougher, I'm going to do what Jesus says, and I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to forgive you again. That doesn't mean we get get taken advantage of, though, though we may be taken advantage of. But it just means that, that we forgive them. You know, if, if you have a friend, say, that is constantly stealing money from you, okay, you forgive them, but what's probably going to happen? Well, I can't hang out with you the way I used to. I've forgiven you. I'm not holding it against you, but I can't trust you, and I'm not going to put myself in a position where you're going to do that to me again. That doesn't mean that, you, that, that we hate them, that we dislike them. It means we're taking proper precautions, but as far as vertically and horizontally we forgive him we're right with that person and we're right with God forgetting means that we don't give in to what we feel we deserve to do if Christ has forgiven us how in the world can we not forgive other people in light of who we are in light of all we've done in light of all that Jesus Christ has forgiven how can we in our wildest dreams think that we have the right the privilege of not forgiving somebody else. Yet we hear this code constantly in the church. Loneliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, and finally, unity of the Spirit. Paul says in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now Paul here is not speaking about denominational unity. 
He's not speaking, okay, well, all you Southern Baptists, you all unite and you do things together, and all you Methodists and all you Pentecostals, or even all you in the church unite and do things together. That's not what he's speaking of. He's speaking of the inner universal unity of the Holy Spirit by which every believer is bound with every other believer. We are one in Jesus Christ. We might look differently. We might talk differently. We might have different jobs. Some of you might not have a sense of humor. Some of us might have a great sense of humor. (laughs) Or not. But we're one. We're united in Jesus Christ. This unity, this, this unity of the Spirit is the capstone of all the other characteristics. If we have all those other characteristics building up, the capstone at the top holding it all together is going to be the unity of the Spirit. And if you have humility, gentleness, patience, and love, unity of the Spirit is going to be manifested in your life. One of the things I love about this church here is that we have got a varied... Let me back up. We have a variety of opinions. We have a variety of personalities. We have a variety of backgrounds. We even have a variety of, of, of opinions on how we should do things, even in serving Christ. But the thing that I love about this church is that when all is said and done, we're all unified in the fact that the work needs to be done. Let's do it. Jesus Christ deserves to be worshipped in here whenever we open our doors up. Let's do it. We are called to share the gospel outside the four walls of this church. Let's do it. We're called to clothe the naked, to feed the sick, to do all these things in Jesus' name. Let's do it. Might not be the method that I've choose, but if this is what the majority of folks want and it's God-honoring, forget that we're not doing it my way. Let's do it. Let's do it because the important thing is being one in spirit. This unity can only be created by God's Holy Spirit. Paul tells us that there are many members but one body. There's a difference between being united by an organization and being united by the Spirit. The reason the, reason, uh, the church in the book of Acts was united was because of God's Holy Spirit ruling and reigning in their lives. He wasn't just in their lives. He was ruling and reigning in their lives. It was what can we do to lift up Jesus Christ? Unity under the banner of a church or denomination isn't necessarily unity. Unity comes from God's Spirit. Walking in God's Spirit. Paul says, uh, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's walking in God's Spirit, allowing God to have control of every aspect of our lives. And in closing this morning, I just want to ask this question. Are you walking in a manner, are we walking in a manner worthy of our calling this morning? Not only are we walking in a manner worthy of our calling, but are, are, are we in a position right now where we in a worthy manner can partake of the Lord's table? Our humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity of the Spirit, characteristics in our daily walk. Or do we just put them on like a piece of clothing whenever we come to church or whenever we get around other Christians? Let's just take a minute to to, to pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that You would speak to all of our hearts right now, Lord, most especially me. 
And Lord, based on what we've been talking about, Father, if there's anything keeping us from walking in a worthy manner or keeping us from partaking of the Lord's table in a worthy manner, Father, reveal it to us right now. Reveal it to us right now so that we can confess it, repent of it, turn away from it. And Lord, with a pure and clean heart, partake of the Lord's table. Lord, just continue to speak to us even as we pass out the elements. And if You bring things to our minds. Father, we'll be quick to ask forgiveness. Lord, thank You for today. Thank You for what we're about to observe. In Jesus' name, Amen.